Well, pray. <laughs> Are the boot campers out there? Woo! Praise God. Well, we're going to jump back into worship here really soon because that's what I'm really interested in is worshiping Jesus. Anyone else? Well, before we jump in, I just want to acknowledge my wife. She's here somewhere. I, I saw her. My precious wife, best part of me. And I want to also, I want to also uh, honor uh, my parents. They're here. I don't know where they are. They're somewhere. Thank you. I just want to say I, I love my parents. <laughs> and then I want to honor Daniel. Listen, I, I've never seen a man surrounded by such oppressions and, and whirlwinds and yet keep his eyes on Jesus. He has been through so much in the last years and we've been by his side watching him look at Jesus through it all. And I just wanna say I honor him, he's the best man I know. So I'll start there. <laughs> now, I have a quick, quick inspired message for you guys and we're gonna go right up. We're gonna go right up and in, is that all right? Let's have some fun in the glory. So there are these famous Bible passages that we all know them, you know, we commit them to memory and we put them on plaques. And, and one of those Bible texts is found in 2 Chronicles 16, uh, verse 9. I've heard it all my life. And if I start quoting it right now, you're going to be like, I've heard that as well. But it says here, the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. How many of you have heard that verse before? This is such a precious and even astounding verse in its own text. It is a thought that provokes feeling that God has eyes and that he is using those eyes and looking for something. And what it is that he's looking for is a heart completely his. That's the glitter in the room that catches God's eye when a heart is completely his. It actually reminds me of John chapter four when Jesus says, my father seeks, he's looking for, seeks worshipers. So if you put these two verses together, you can see that God's eyes are looking for wholeheartedness and God's eyes are looking for worship. And you can see that wholeheartedness is worship and worship is wholeheartedness. Whatever you do with all your heart to God is worship, praise God. So the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth looking for a heart completely. Why does he look for a heart? Because heart is where worship is to love the Lord with all your heart. And Jesus says of the Pharisees, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Meaning worship is an issue of the heart. It's a heart condition. <laughs> worship is the giving of the inward gaze of the heart upon God. And when we see worship, we think of this precious thing we've been invited into to gaze upon the beauty of Jesus Christ, even as Jonathan Edwards said, that looking at the beauty of Christ bows the will and draws the heart. <laughs> Praise God. Why does he want the heart? Because it's the immaterial center of your being. 
Why does he want the heart? It's because everything about you is cosmetic to your heart. Jesus says thoughts come out of your heart and actions come out of your heart. God wants the heart. Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's the heart that God is after. God alone sees the heart and the heart alone sees God. God looks for hearts that are completely his. The Bible says, above all else, guard your heart. For from it, or because from it, flows all the issues of life. Proverbs tells us this precious truth. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Trusting the Lord and your heart are connected. Trust is a condition of the heart. So this verse, you can drink from it for the rest of your life. But just like when you go into the store and you wanna smell a cologne, you, you take the cap off and you bring it up to your nose and you can smell it. In that moment when you take the cap off, the smell does not fill the room. You have to bring it to your nose and smell it. That's what you do when you take this verse out and smell it. Oh, it's beautiful. It's got a great fragrance to it. But when you look at the context, that's when you spray the bottle and it fills the room. When you look at who said it, you look at why it was said, and you look at to whom it was said, these three things bring this verse out in such a beautiful way and bring weight to the matter. You say, Eric, where does it come from? Well, allow me to take some liberties and bring it out for you. Is that okay? Once upon a time, there was a wicked king. And this wicked king, the scripture says, he did not follow the Lord with his whole heart. And he marries a woman who's even more wicked than him. She is an idolater and she makes idols. That's what she does. These two people are ruling Judah. It's darkness cast over the land. But they have a son and his son's name is Asa. And Asa means restorer. And Asa's born and the, 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 Word of God tells us that Asa sought the Lord with his whole heart. And the scripture says that he did what was right in God's sight. So this is what you see in Asa. The first lesson you can learn just from this is that you don't have to follow the errors of your parents. If you, if you trust in the Lord, you'll break off all those generational things. So you see here that Asa, he seeks the Lord with his whole heart. And I can't help but wonder, how is it that a guy who has a idolatrous mother and a wicked father, how did he come to seek the Lord with all his heart? And maybe uh, uh, my imagination starts running and I see him gallivanting through the palace and spotting a, a wooden door in the basement of the castle and intrigued, he approaches it and he begins to push it open with great curiosity. And he finds a room with scrolls from ceiling to floor. So he reaches out and he grabs one, he opens it up, he blows off the dust and he reads the title and it reads, The Journals of King David. 
And he, maybe he's, as he's looking through and he's, he's, he remembers, I, this is the giant slayer king that I've heard about. Let me read what he writes in his journal. And what he lays eyes on is this, my soul pines for you, O God. What he reads as he looks down is, my soul clings to you, God. He reads, my soul thirsts for you. I remember St. Teresa of Avila said, my soul suffers out of desire for God. She said, I want you so bad, Lord, I can feel it in my bones. I long for you. He's reading here and he's seeing things like, there is nothing on the earth that I desire besides you. He's reading and he sees, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Maybe he reads Psalm 119 verse 10 where David says, with my whole heart, I have sought you. I remember hearing of John G. Lake and how he would be so overcome with desire for God as he's walking down the street that he would begin to cry out, oh God, a hunger on the inside, burning on the inside. And he said, if I could bless you with any spiritual gift, it'd be this, the gift of spiritual thirst and spiritual hunger. It makes me think of people like David Brainerd who called his longing for God a pleasing pain. Oh, it made his soul search after God. I think of this guy, David Brainerd, who's coughing up pieces of his lungs with tuberculosis. He's dying and then he sits down to write in his journal that night. He smiles with red teeth and he writes, an hour with God infinitely excels all the pleasures and delights of this lower world. I think of Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, who himself longed after God and he says, it is worthwhile to have lived, if for nothing else, than to have had a half an hour's fellowship with God. What's he saying? He's saying, my whole life finds its meaning and its purpose and fulfillment and just having a half an hour with God. I think of the burning desire inside of Samuel Rutherford who's in prison for preaching the gospel and he says things like this, I find that his presence eats the bitterness out of all sorrow and sufferings. I think of people like Robert Murray McShane who recognized the value of seeking God and he says things like this, an hour with God is worth a lifetime with any man. It moves my heart and it makes me say, no hours pass away with so much pleasure as those spent in communion with you. I long to fill all my time with you. Help me to make you my only end. I look at King Asa and I can only see that he had something happen in his life that shifted him from his ancestors to seeking God. And it had to be that he saw King David's writings. Maybe he pulled down another one and he reads the heading and the, the heading says, this is the advice of King David to his son, King Solomon, before he takes the throne. And Asa thinks, I will soon take the throne. Let me see what David would say to me before I become king. And he, he reads this. If you seek the Lord, he will let you find him. <sighs> if, meaning it's conditional. You have to do, you, it's not, no one else can do this for you. If you seek the Lord, not seek something from the Lord, not seek his hand, not seek, seek the Lord himself. I'll seek miracles or signs or seek him. And he will let you find him, praise God. I can't help but see these things happening. You know, right then as he's reading these things from the burning and bleeding heart of King David, maybe he felt the hovering of the spirit over him and he heard the same whisper that David heard in the sheep fields and he heard, seek my face. 
And maybe he turned around and he looked up to the Lord and he said, your face, Lord, will I seek. It reminds me of Leonard Ravenhill. When he was called, he was making suits and he felt a tap on his shoulder. He turns around, there's nobody there. And he hears a voice behind him and it says this, follow me. And he says, not only will I follow you, but I'll never look back. This is what we see in King Asa. What he does is reform the nation by valuing the word of God. He spreads out teachers of the word throughout all the land so that the word of God is again taught. Also, he makes a covenant with the people and he tells them, we will seek the Lord and anybody who violates seeking the Lord with all their heart, they shall be put to death. You say, what kind of a covenant is that? That's very serious. All he's saying is this, I'd rather die than not seek God with all my heart. This is what Asa, is. he's got this kind of a heart. The Lord is with him. Men gather to him under Asa. The land is blessed with peace for 10 years. I can't help but see some jealous brothers gathering on the side and they're saying, yeah, it's easy to seek the Lord with all your heart when you haven't had any trials. And so maybe the Lord heard these men say that. He goes, let me show you what this guy Asa's like. Let me stir up Ethiopia and send them against him. Now, Ethiopia has, the Bible says, one million soldiers. One million. This is the only time in the entire Old Testament the word million is used. is right here. In other words, it's not just a couple of guys that were up to no good, started making trouble in my neighborhood. This is like serious. <laughs> this is a million soldiers rising up against him. And the wonderful thing about this, Charles Spurgeon actually says, there's so many soldiers in Ethiopia, they could have came to Judah and carried it away in handfuls. That's how many people he was up against. But what you see here is what happens when pressure comes. Pressure only increased prayer because pressure reveals what's really there. So pressure increased his prayer. And we see in 2 Chronicles 14, verse 11, he recognizes that he's weak. He recognizes that God is all sufficient. And then he expresses his trust in God. And this is all that prayer is. The breath of dependency. I am man, you are God. I bow before you, Lord. This is what prayer is. And this is what he does. God gives all of Ethiopia into his hands. Can you believe that? God, all these people, he gives them into his hand. Now he's extremely rich from the plunder of the battle. He continues to purge the land. He takes his mother's idol that she made, Asherath, and he smashes it underneath his feet. Praise God. Asa is A-G. <laughs> For 36 years, he is wholehearted unto God. 36 years. He's walked blameless before God, trusting his God. But something happens over time and years of prosperity. He's arrived and he's restored the land and he's one of the greatest kings in, in the history of Judah. He's defeated the largest army. Maybe he felt like, I just don't need to seek like I, I used to seek. So what the Lord does is he stirs up another king to come against him. Why? Because pressure increases prayer and reveals what's there. So he sends, you know, everybody thinks they're full until they get knocked on. <laughs> Just like a, bar a barrel can look like it's full until you knock on it, and then you hear the sound. There's nothing in there. <laughs> so that's why God sends trials. Pride needs winter weather to wither it. 
And this is what happens with Asa. His heart begins to grow cold. God sends pressure to him. And look at what happens when the pressure comes. He does not look to his God. He looks to his gold that he got from his God. In other words, he cheated on God with stuff God gave him. In other words, he's leaning on a person instead of God's presence. So this is what begins to happen in his life. But here's the thing. When he pays the king of Aram, Aram comes in and he helps him. And guess what? It succeeds. <laughs> Which shows us that success does not mean God's happy. So we see that this hurts God's heart. I mean, imagine you come home and your wife is, she is more trusting of another man than you. Or maybe your child is more trusting of some other man than you. You would feel it deep. God, God has this great relationship with Asa and all of a sudden he looks down and he sees that Asa's not looking up at him anymore. He's looking down at the things God's given to him. And so here we are and there's this, as we know, there's a knock at the door. <laughs> right then when everything succeeds, there's a knock at the door. <laughs> and I can just see it in my mind's eye, massive 30-foot copper doors opening by, opened by soldiers. And then comes walking in this old prophet with a long white beard, leaning on a staff, probably looking like Gandalf. <laughs> he comes walking in. Hanani is his name. His name is Hanani, the prophet of Yahweh. Asa says, who are you? He says, I'm Hanani, the prophet of Yahweh. What can I do for you? I can see him just leaning in, smiling, and he say, Asa, do you remember Ethiopia? Do you remember Ethiopia when you trusted in your God and he delivered a million soldiers into your hand? Asa says, of course I do. Why are you bringing that up? And here's our statement. He points his staff at his face and he says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth looking for a heart that's completely his. You've fallen into foolery. He tells him, you'll never have peace again for the rest of your life. War will follow you. You have not trusted in God, you've trusted in men. Ace is mad, get this guy out of here. He puts him in prison. This really, really moved me. Every, every time I read this story, it just moves me. Peace is removed from his life. The funny thing too about this prophet is he has no prophecies before this and no prophecies after this. His whole life of being locked up with God prepared him for this one statement. Which shows me this, one statement from God is worth a million volumes of the minds of men. One statement from God is hanging over somebody's fireplace 2,000 years later. <laughs> Praise God. Matthew Henry says, it's foolishness to trust in a broken reed when we can lean upon the rock of ages. The old hymn, rock of ages, cleft from me, let me hide myself in thee. <laughs> we look at this heart of Asa that was so inspiring and now we're instructed by it. We're instructed in this way. God gave him gold and he put his trust in his gold. We see that he's no longer valuing the covenant which means his character began to fail when his heart became partial because we live however our hearts are. And he goes on and he's angry towards the prophet which shows us that divided hearts are agitated by the word. We see also that he starts to mistreat people from there on out, which shows us that our hearts determine how we treat others. And to finish the story, he becomes crippled. And not only is he crippled, but the scripture says, even when he's crippled, he doesn't seek God. Breaks my heart. 
So I want to just call our attention to the inspiration of Asa that he sought the Lord and then also the instruction that just because you sought him doesn't mean you're seeking him. We must continue to give our hearts completely to the Lord. George Mueller writes this. When I came into full surrender, the love of money was gone. The love of place was gone. The love of position was gone. The love of the world was gone. God and God alone became my portion. I found everything in him and I wanted nothing else but him. And by the grace of God, it has remained to this day. And he has made me a happy man, an exceedingly happy man. And it led me to care only about the things of God. I ask you affectionately, dear brethren, have you surrendered your all to God? Is the love of position gone? The love of money gone? The love of place gone? The love of worldly pleasures gone? Is God all to you? I want to recognize in my own heart if there be any place where my heart is divided. I want to lay it all down before the Lord, but here's where I want to bring it to. This is the pinnacle of the message, is that we got to lift our eyes even higher than our own surrender. To what? We got to lift our eyes to the one who causes the heart to be completely his. We got to lift our eyes to Jesus. The reason is because Asa and all the kings of Israel and Judah could only constitute a faint and failing foreshadow of the excellencies that are found in the man Christ Jesus. (laughs) Men succeed in some ways and they fail and many others. The best of men are men at best, but he who's from above is above all, praise God. And when we look at who Jesus is, it draws the heart completely to be his. You see, Asa did some good things, and we, we we're thankful for the example of Asa. But Asa breaks away from his sinful parents, but Jesus broke away from humanity, and he is the one who is innocent, holy, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. You see, Asa reformed the nation, but Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. He's inaugurated a new and living way. Yes, Asa trusted God, and Ethiopia was delivered delivered into his hands, but Jesus has trusted his father and overcame the world, the flesh, and the devil, praise God. Asa crushed his mother's idol under his feet, but Jesus crushed Satan under his feet, praise God. (laughs) You see, Asa was faithful for 36 years, but his kingdom fell. But to Jesus is given dominion and glory and a kingdom. All peoples, all nations, all languages will serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and it shall not pass away. And his kingdom will never be destroyed. Asa's amazing. I love the guy. But here's the reality is that he was only blameless for 36 years. But Jesus Christ is the one who is worthy. He's the one who was slain. He receives power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits upon the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and might forever and ever. Hallelujah. See, he's greater than the angels. He's higher than the priests. Every knee will bow to his exalted seat. There's seven stars in his hand and every crown is at his feet. Complete and perfect are his ways. He's the ancient of days. The earth flees from his face. He's a person, a taste, a resting place, a refuge for any case. Oh, hasten the day when my face shall be sight. Because he is bright, my clothes become white. Light, life, love is 
Jesus above. It's Jesus above. It's Jesus above. Hallelujah. It's Jesus above.